there's a book about how to expect what you're expecting, but there's no book on how to raise teenage kids. Every step, every decision that Andy and I had to make together was like rebuilding the wheel, like finding the right educational consultant, deciding which program was the best fit for her. But we made it through and she made it through and here we are. Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple, Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean, and this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Please check us out online at couplesynergy.com or on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Couplesynergy. And please subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring your experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for over 25 years. Every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. So we've created not only an avenue we can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home saloon, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guests, Andy and Lori Goldstrom, they are the founders of Parents Journey. They provide coaching services and a variety of other resources to help parents better navigate the challenges of raising children today. Together, they host the Wilderness Therapy and Residential Treatment Center Journey podcast. Thank you for being on our podcast today, Andy and Lori. Yeah, we are really, really looking forward to talking about this topic today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And we got our dog with us. I see you got your dog. Well, and we. Okay. She was, she's a little... Uh... <laughs> She's used to having uh, Lori around, and so came down to our basement for for attention. She seems to be okay now. We have two puppies that are five months old, and right now they are behaving. So we are keeping our fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> we actually got the first one in February, and he really needed a companion. So we mm -hmm. went actually yesterday. We drove fifteen hours to go pick up his brother. And they look like twins. We have both of them here now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. They're fun. Exciting. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, this one here is sleeping on the bar stool next to me here. So. <laughs> 15 hours is a commitment, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, it sure is. It sure is. So, you know, tell us a little bit about yourselves and, you know, kind of what got you to start Parents Journey. You want, to take you want me to start? Go okay. Ahead. Um. Well, we started it during COVID when everybody was home um, and we were sort of finding a new family dynamic here um, and had a history with one of our kids of needing more than we had been able to provide her in terms of mental health um, assistance locally with a psychiatrist and a therapist and tutors and all the things you do. And it wasn't enough. So um, we had a, a route which we can get to in a moment. But at the beginning of COVID, when everybody was trying to find what they were going to do to stay busy, long days stuck at home, Andy was like, you know, we went through this journey um, in so many ways alone. Um, we had professional help, but you don't have 
peer support other than people who you lean on, but they don't really understand what you're going through because they haven't been through it. Um, and he said, you know, I think we can provide something to people who are going through this and don't know where to turn, how to how to find peers or how to find support from people who went through the same experience. So that's where that where the podcast um, originated. Um, but then Andy took it a step further, as he'll get into with um, getting certified to be a parent coach, because when we were going through this process with our daughter, um, we had a parent coach through the program that she was at, one of the programs that she was at, um, in addition to therapist. And um, he was really moved by that and decided that he wanted to get certified and do that on the side. And now he's actually doing it more than on the side. And um, but that's I'll let him get into more of that when when he talks. Do you that's really anything? similar to how we started our podcast mm -hmm. where couples would ask us, are we normal? And so we decided to interview couples about their relationship. So can you guys start and share about how you guys met? Do you want me to take that too? Uh, I got it. We'll take turns. Okay. Um, we met at a, uh, a wedding uh, in, uh, and we just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary, actually. Uh, oh, we met at a wedding and um, I was the best man and and obviously on the groom side and she was friendly with people on the bride side and they both they both kind of organized it to match us up because we both need both of us were single at the time and so we were looking for each other when we went to the wedding and had you know had a good time uh dancing and enjoying each other's company and realized that we had some similar values and uh i was um on a management program with a company and was moving to different parts of the country for between six months and a year at a time. So it ended up that we started dating long distance. She in Boston and I was as far at one point out in Los Angeles. And uh, every six weeks we would visit each other for a long weekend or a week or whatever. And uh, we made it work. And eventually, you know, uh, the first time we lived in a city together was when we were engaged. Wow. So how long did you guys have that long distance relationship? About a year. A little over a year. Mm -hmm. yep. And what was it about each other that you fell in love with? Ooh, good question. Um, I guess back then I would say it was his, he has a, a, an unusual sense of humor. Um, and back then it was very endearing. Um, 30 years later, you know, sometimes I'm like, Again, you know, dad jokes. He's got a lot of dad jokes, a lot of corny jokes. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> but I don't, you know, we just clicked. We, you know, people say you just click, and we just clicked. We, I, you know, I fell in love with um, his drive. I fell in love with his commitment um, to things he was doing. He goes all in in a very, very significant way when he commits to something. Um, you know, like I said, his sense of humor, he's super smart. And I, that, that was also very attractive to me to have um, a, a partner that was bright, um, had varied interests. He liked sports, which I like as well. Um, you know, and it, when you can make it work long distance from the beginning, um, I don't know, I feel like that really says something about your commitment to one another. And you know, we still had an engagement, um, a, a, you know, a half a year, eight months or so um, engagement 
when we were then living together, when, when we were, when we finally did get engaged and we were in the same city. Um, but you know, it was a, it was quite a year and a half, I'd say from, from when I first met him. And what was it about her? Oh, it's easy. She's beautiful <laughs> and she's maintained it. So she, there's a spark to her and, um, you know, she's vivacious and engaging and loving. And it was kind of easy to see it from the very beginning. And, um, uh, I feel fortunate that she's, you know, that we've been able to, you know, uh, share our life's partnership since then. We've we've been married far longer than we've than we in our lives than we lived as single people at this point, and so we certainly have established a bond based upon, you know, all the happiness we've had, but also working through some of the challenges for sure. And we just uh, celebrated our twenty fifth. Congrats. Uh, this past, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. This past <laughs> Valentine's Day. And you, know, you think about it, it's like 25 years, right? Mm-hmm. 30 years being with, you know, a partner. It's there's some significance behind that, you know, for sure. I just I just had my 60th birthday and we had our 30th anniversary this the the next month. And I'm like, it's literally been half my life now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. I'd Did like you guys point. have an engagement story? Um, do we have an engagement story? Well, he was a visit. He, I was in Boston, as he mentioned. And at that point, he was in Atlanta. So we kind of joked that we were at least in the same time zone once he finally got to the <laughs> East Coast. Um, he had been in the, on the West Coast, as he mentioned. Um, but he came up to Boston for a weekend and proposed to me in the uh, Boston Public Garden, if you know Boston at all, with the swan boats, where the swan boats are, mm. that area, which is one of my favorite places in the city of Boston, and um, proposed to me there in the fall. Very nice. Very nice. And how many kids do you guys have? Two adult women, young ladies. And uh, the one um, that Lori was referencing is the younger child, the one who um, went, uh, went to wilderness therapy and then residential treatment. And that was um five or six years ago now what was it like adjusting to becoming parents well we have a we have a fun story Lori doesn't (laughs) like me to repeat it but i'm going to (laughs) she's because of the way i described her she's always been very motherly and had maternal instincts i did i did not have paternal instincts at the same level and um and so she was interested at age 30 or shortly thereafter of wanting to start a family uh, and, and, um, I didn't know whether I was ready or not, you know, there's, you know, part of my parents journey coaching is there's a book about how to expect what you're expecting, but there's no book on how to raise teenage kids, you know, that's consistent in a proper way. There's no manual. So, um, she was, she, she was asking me to, you know, to, to want to get started not long after we got married because we wanted to have a second child, uh, you know, at some point and, and make sure that we were, weren't too old as parents and that we're minimizing any risk and all the rest. And so I, after a while to, to frankly satisfy her need and, and I, I got creative and maybe my sense of humor a little bit, but I, I told her maybe as a starting point, we can get a goldfish <laughs> and see how we could take care of that. And believe it or not, she bit. You know, she went out and got a goldfish to say, if this is a first step, I'll play. And uh, unfortunately, she killed the goldfish in the first day <laughs> because 
because she didn't acclimate the water in the bag. She I never just had put, a fish before. She just put it in the bowl. <laughs> so I'm like, how are we going to take care of any, any, how are we going to take care of any kids and be able to raise that and change a diaper or give a bottle? We can't even take care of a goldfish. They killed it right from the start. Right. I remember having that feeling though, yeah. when I, when I became a mom and going like, well, all my pets have died. So I, I could be in trouble with this one. <laughs> yeah. But we had, you know, and the good news was, you know, it wasn't too much longer that we, that um, we did have our first child in 1995. And, um, you know, and we had, you know, we were fortunate in that we had some help, you know, a baby nurse and some friends and family and other support around us to help us make it work like, you know, like most parents do. And, uh, you know, we had, we had the sleepless nights. We had the, you know, what do you do? You know, what do you do as parents when you want to start reading to them or want to start, you know, um, letting them sleep and find their, you know, enable, allow them to comfort themselves as opposed to coming to the rescue all the time. And that mm. doesn't change throughout their childhood, frankly, <laughs> you have to find that balance. Did, did you guys want to talk a little bit about the challenges that you were facing with your youngest daughter and kind of how that uh, progressed into starting parents journey? Sure. Um, so our younger daughter, um, had some, she has ADHD, which, you know, wasn't really the root of her problems, but she had um, also been tested multiple times. And, and we uncovered that she had very poor working memory, which is your short-term memory. Mm -hmm. And she was falling behind in school. When she hit maybe middle school, she was starting to fall behind in school. She couldn't keep up with the other kids. Um, we also had a move to, to Florida, a brief move to Florida, um, which was very hard for her, um, leaving behind, you know, 13 years of her childhood in Atlanta. Uh, we turned around and came back a few years later, but um, it was it was very, very hard for her. But she was just falling behind and couldn't keep up with things. And as she progressed through middle school and then the return to Atlanta, um, it just got worse. And her anxiety um, was very, very high. You know, she was seeing, as I mentioned, psychiatrist and a therapist and she had tutors. You know, I was doing everything that I knew to do and that I was getting guidance from professionals what to do. And it just wasn't enough. I mean, an hour a week of therapy and a once a month psychiatry appointment to look at her meds, just it wasn't enough. She was spiraling. She was she was starting to make bad choices. She was starting to hang out with with the wrong kids. She was starting to smoke pot, you know, at, I don't know, maybe 16 or seven, 16, um, hanging out in abandoned homes with friends and just stuff that isn't what I would have raised my kid to do. Right. So it, it, we were losing control basically. And I no longer, you know, knew what to do. Andy and I, you know, were trying to pull from all resources we could, and we just, it, we weren't making any headway. Um, finally, um, the pediatrician put me in touch with another mom of a, another patient of hers, whose child had had different issues, but a, a similar kind of experience where, where they had been spiraling. And um, we found out about this, like, I called it the underworld at the time because I had no familiarity at all. I'm like, 
all of this exists and I never heard of any of it before, you know, uh, wilderness therapy was like a six to eight week intensive, um, treatment where you're literally removed from civilization. You're out in the woods or you're else you're somewhere else where you have, um, only contact through like a letter or email that, that's printed and given to you in pa on paper. Um, and you have no, no social media, of course. And, and it's just, you're, re you're completely removed. It's basically, they call it a reset button. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and it takes the, the child out of what is triggering them. All of these things that were, she was spiraling from, which she couldn't really identify and removed her from, from further spiraling basically to kind of give her a reset um, and see how she could start to, you know, believe in herself again and, and see that there were other pathways and, you know, obviously very intensive therapy, but it, it's 24 seven, you basically send your child away. Um, but we, Andy and I reached this point where we didn't know what else to do. And we felt like her life was at risk and that, and we were fighting constantly at home because I was trying to, you know, hover over her because I didn't know what else to do to protect her. And it wasn't helping, but if I stepped back and just let her like find her own path, she was, she was going down the drain. So, so we sent her away and she did this intensive program and we had a, um, educational consultant that we had hired here in, in the Atlanta area that, um, investigated the, the programs and there's many of them out there. And what we saw as priorities for Audrey and her personality and her, you know, various things that we felt were important in making the proper selection for her. Um, this person reached out to the psychiatrist and the therapist and the school counselor and like really did all of her homework to put the pieces together to try to find the right fit for her, for Audrey. And, um, and it was January, so it was cold out. And while they have all kinds of equipment for people to go live in the mountains in cold weather in the winter, um, we have a child who had some like joint problems and was, she has um, fibromyalgia. So we wanted, we didn't want the cold weather to be a factor in her focusing on her mental health. We wanted her to focus exclusively on getting well psychologically and not worry about physically. So we sent her to a warm weather climate for her um, program um, in Hawaii. What kid oh. isn't going to do that, right? Um, <laughs> she was on the big island and in a program out there, um, which was very beneficial for her. And then we continued with the educational consultant to find out what, what the next step would be and what happens with these children is most of them continue on to a longer term program after that, where they start to reintegrate into society with still significant supervision, but, but some more adulting goes on when Audrey was at this point over 18. So um, more adulting goes on, kids get jobs, kids get internships, or some kids take college classes if that's what they are um, in line to do. And uh, that we sent her to another, to that follow-up program in Oregon. Um, but it was very hard for Andy and I because, you know, our kid, and, and, and probably more so me, because I'm the mama bear, um, but it was hard for us as a couple. It was hard for each of us as a parent to her to have her gone for that long. Um, we were able to visit her for like a parents weekend, but honestly, like that's not a lot of time when you're used to having your kid at home with you. But that is what was necessary to try to stop the spiral, basically, and get her intense psychological um, treatment. 
And, you know, every step, every decision that Andy and I had to make together um, was like re rebuilding the wheel, like, you know, finding the right educational consultant, deciding which program was the best fit for her, you know, getting her to the program, then deciding on the next program, getting her to that program, how we were going to do that. You know, there, there was just so much that we had to go through as a couple um, in talking through these choices and the decisions and, and, you know, our different parenting styles that came into play, of course, in therapy regularly, because we do have very different parenting styles and probably, well, not probably, definitely both of them contributed in different ways to, to where Audrey was, as well as her, um, her learning disabilities and other things. Um, so it's, it's, it was very, very challenging, but we made it through and she made it through and, you know, here we are. 30, been married for 30 years, as we said, and she, you know, made it through all her treatment and is, you know, she has her ups and downs still, but not like, not like that. Bring us back to, you know, there's a problem in fifth grade. She doesn't get into this thing that really feels helpful till she's 16 or 17. And you guys are struggling for a good 10 years because I think there's a lot of parents in those places. And I think when we're there, it's, it becomes very reactive. Like, well, there's this problem. I'm trying to solve that or over, it's all piecemeal. And talk about the challenges you guys went through as a couple and and your different parenting styles and what you know now that you didn't know back then that was part of your guys' journey. Sure. Um, okay, if I take that. Yeah, please. So I'll start backwards to forwards in what we know now and we learned from Audrey is that... Um, when we started being concerned about her mental health, we started losing attunement to her feelings and and um, and what she was going through and putting ourselves in her shoes because it was so foreign to us. You know, we were we were achievers as kids, and and we haven't we we never had a kid with mental illness and did, weren't exposed to a lot of kids with you know challenges like that, and so um, you know. Um, Lori, <laughs> Lori interviewed Audrey on one of the, one of the podcast episodes that happens to be the most popular one that was ever downloaded because it was very genuine. And Audrey basically said, I never felt while, while I was going through this, I know you were trying to do your best to protect me and guide me and all the rest. And it wasn't working, but I, I really felt like you didn't, you weren't hearing me. You really didn't understand me. And all you needed to do was kind of step back and, and listen a little bit more as, as opposed to being so apprehensive um, and that was a big lesson uh, for us because Audrey was not trying to be a bad kid with some of the mischief she was getting into. She was just trying to find her way and cope and find ways to feel better about herself and her circumstance. And sometimes it was getting high. Sometimes it was just getting out of the house, even if it was the wrong time of day. Sometimes it was just being resistant because she didn't like being told what to do, you know, at the time. And, um, and so, you know, that, that's a lesson I've carried forward into my coaching business for sure. And making sure that parents are attuned to their child uh, from the beginning and actually giving kids more empowerment as opposed to parents just dictating, um, which might've been more common a couple generations ago, but isn't, it doesn't work nearly as well now. Um, <clears throat> and then the, you know, the whole parent coaching business kind of are, the parent coaching business, our relationship as, as, as husband and wife was strained 
Um, I was an entrepreneur who had a, a good business career that was that. Uh, and what that meant was our agreement was she was primarily the parent at home and I'd be working long hours or traveling. And there was a point in my, in, in, you know, around that time that Audrey started spiraling. I was actually traveling overseas sometimes for mm. a week or two at a time. And based upon my upbringing and my, my mental makeup, I'm kind of a, you know, just suck it up and get it done kind of guy, kind of person. And I, you know, and I pro I wasn't as empathetic as I needed to be. And I would come back after a week or two and see the kids spiraling and seeing how loving, but how uh, tolerant Lori was at times. And it would be disturbing or troubling for me because, you know, I'm like, how, how did, why the, why, why are, why is Audrey and why is our older daughter? Why are they, why are they not doing what they're supposed to do as kids for the, you know, age appropriate stuff? Why are they, you know, why are they challenging us in the way that they are? And, and so when we got our, you know, we needed, when we sent Audrey away or gave her the gift of, as we call it, um, we realized it wasn't just about her getting better, it was about us getting better. And the parent coaching really, I don't think it saved our marriage because we had enough um, of a bond and enough um, uh, value system to want to wanna stay together for sure. But it strained it and we needed to kind of grieve about not having a child who was taking the path that we thought she would ultimately take and be happy and independent. We needed to forgive each other because we were just doing our best with the current, with the parenting situation we had. And we needed to learn how to communicate with Audrey while she was away and then differently when she came back so that we didn't, uh, we didn't facilitate her behavior reverting. And so that parent coaching really helped us quite a bit. And uh, it inspired me, uh, as Lori said, to start the podcast mm -hmm. to help other parents, but also to, you know, and, and then based upon the feedback that was so positive there, it inspired me to, to, to actually become a parent coach. And it, was, it wasn't that big a leap for me because as a business person, I was kind of the, the thing that differentiated me was not, was not my good looks. You could see I'm a bald guy. <laughs> It, 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 and it wasn't me being a real salesy kind of person. It was it was really about developing people and keeping commitments. And uh, and so, you know, I learned how to, I got specifically trained and certified by a couple of national organizations to allow me to facilitate that in a in a in a in a family setting as opposed to a business setting. You know, I think it's and, and you guys can probably attest to this. It's pretty natural for parents going through that to turn on each other, right? And to go through feelings of, of being a failure or failing and feeling lost and confused. What, what was pivotal in helping the two of you move out of that and move towards these resources and be on the same page in utilizing these resources? Because I, I think a lot of parents would feel you know, if they are not on the same page, that sending their child away would mean admitting defeat in some way or that we're not able to do it ourselves. Right. Um, I, I don't I don't know. I, I We didn't really look at it as admitting defeat. Um, we saw it as a gift, as Andy just said. Um, we were fortunate that we had that opportunity. Um, that we could find these programs that we didn't even know about. Um, 
that were geared for these kinds of kids. Um, so I, I don't, I, we really never looked at it as failure. I mean, her mental health issues were not something we created technically, you know, I mean, the fact that she had poor short-term memory, which sort of started her spiral, wasn't something that we did that created that. Um, and so we, we didn't really think of this as, as a failure. Could we have done different things as parents and maybe she would have had not spiraled as far? Yes, possibly. Um, if I, you know, treated her differently or if he was more engaged or whatever it might've been, maybe things might've been different, but you know, we had another child that we parented the same way and, and she had, didn't have those issues. So we just didn't think of it as a failure. We really looked at it as an, as unfortunate um, and scary as all, you know what, but we were very lucky that we found opportunities to try to help her and that we could take advantage of them, which was, you know, really key in turning that around. So we didn't really blame each other. I mean, there were moments early in therapy where, you know, I, you know, we might have placed more blame on the other for whatever those items were. But we had the therapy, the quality of the therapy that we received and that she the received that and we- the coaching and the coaching was exceptional. I mean, it, it just it was just exceptional and it helped us to see what we needed to do to get to a better place when everything when she got through the programs and um, and we were able to do that because it when, meant when you talk about that yes. quality, are you talking about once she was in those residential programs, when she yes. went away, when she went away prior to that. Therapist. Yeah. Sorry, I think so prior that. to that, you, you guys had talked about, and we see this as well, that the resources in everyday life, they're just not there. Right. And I Correct. think so, teachers yeah. so, want to blame parents and parents want to blame each other. And, and, therapists want to blame whoever is like, that's kind of human nature, right? And we, we deal with the same thing when we have a couple come in, that's the first thing they're doing is blaming their partner. That's never part of the solution, which you guys know now, which you looking back, you can say, no, you know, that's, that's not where it's at at all. But I think initially when you feel that sense of powerlessness of something, something's going on that doesn't feel good and can potentially be dangerous, and, and, and that powerlessness, Yeah. what, what do you think if you have any ideas of how things could be better before they get to this place? And maybe it's because we just live so non-organically. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I'm glad she remembers it in a, in a more positive way than I do in some ways. Um, there was some blame. Um, you know, I, um, I remember a specific instance when I was, not traveling for a short period of time <clears throat> where um, we lived a quarter of a mile from the bus stop and, mm-hmm. and, and it was spritzing out and um, Lori decided that she wanted to drive her to the bus stop. And I took issue with it. I basically said, if she can't, you know, it was 60 or 70 degrees out or whatever it was, if she can't just use an umbrella or a, you know, or a, or a rain jacket and managed to walk to the bus stop on her own, you know, how is she going to deal with adversity in general? It was kind of a, you know, a a sign to me that that didn't strike me right. And Lori was like, Hey, I'm home, I'm available. And so I have the opportunity to do it and I want to do it. And so there was, I think, 
you know, I think she held some resentment about me not being as present and then second guessing her. And then she, and then I definitely had resentment about, about, um, about her not being firmer. You know, the kids would nag her to death and she'd relent eventually or just be more tolerant than I would be. And we needed to forgive each other and get beyond that and get more aligned. Um, and then I also think there was a grieving process with Audrey's situation. She, there's a, there's a, there's a poem that you may be familiar with or your listeners or can Google it. It's called Welcome to Holland. Have you ever heard of that? No, we haven't. Okay. So it's basically a parable and it's basically about a family that is, has planned a vacation and is traveling to Italy and is really excited about the culture and the food and going to the Vatican and going to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa and everything relating to Italy that makes it so unique. So they get all ready and they have all their guidebooks and all their clothes and everything to go. And they get on the plane and they land in Holland. (laughs) And what they do is they rue the fact that their journey or the, the trajectory of where they thought they would be had changed abruptly. And they made the decision that, Hey, we're disappointed, but Holland has a lot to offer. It has tulips, it has windmills, it has, you know, uh, Amsterdam, it has all these great things that, you know, that, that, uh, that you could take advantage of if you change your perspective. And so what we, we, what we learned through that amongst other discussions was that, you know, every, every family and every kid's journey is different and it doesn't take the the exact path that you expect. And, and, um, once we were able to, accept that and realize that Audrey would find independence and happiness as long as we were better aligned as parents, given the, given the therapy that she had received, we were going to be okay. And um, that made a big difference in, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of how we, you know, in terms of how we proceeded and move forward for sure. I, I think that's a really key point because a lot of parents out there, they hold themselves to these expectations, you know, that, it should be a certain way. And when it isn't a certain way, then, you know, they put all of that heaviness on their own shoulders. You know, we had a, we had a child who was, who had attention deficit and, you know, the educational system was not in agreement with him (laughs) whatsoever. They cater to the mean. Yeah. Correct. Right. And he is very successful now working as a legislative director director for a congressman on, you know, on Capitol Hill. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of really understanding your child, trusting your instinct and your gut and helping your child to be the best that they can be and not hold them to expectations that society or the educational system holds them to. Right. And you asked if I, if I may about, what can parents do? Kay, uh, Jean asked about what what parents can do um, when they don't have resources or information, and and how to how to figure this all out in a in a way to learn from us. <laughs> and I mean, the reason we put that podcast together was because we realized that people were googling and getting sales pitches and and slanted information and and not really able to hear from somebody who had been through it. And, and, um, and so that made a big difference. And then, you know, my coaching business, Parents Journey Coaching, has really been about trying to help parents who in the best scenario are, are, are realizing that they 
could have a problem and want to address it, like a 13-year-old who's defiant, who doesn't mm -hmm. listen to people in at school or at home uh, and is nasty, and they realize that if we don't do something better as parents, um, our kid is going to have trouble by the time he's 16 and we, and we want to do something now. Or we have, you know, I deal with parents who are much, you know, who, who are, who are in crisis, <laughs> you know, who, who's, whose kids, um, you know, drug use, uh, breaking the law, um, really struggling in, in other different ways where they, where they need help. And, and it gets more complicated nowadays with single parents and co-parenting, not just married mm -hmm. parents, blended families, blended families, all the rest. Mm -hmm. And so what, what I try and do is I try and work with those parents, no matter what the situation is, to make sure that the, the parents uh, get aligned much sooner. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be, um, you know, two parents with different parenting styles, parenting in different ways and then disagreeing in front of the kids and then not following through on certain things. It's really about compromising and communicating in advance and presenting a unified front and then following through. And it's also empowering the kids. So as an example, if, if, you know, if, if, uh, you know, a lot of people have trouble with social media and the phones and all the rest mm. and, yeah. you know, parents can just be tough and set rules, but, um, a better way to do it, a more successful way is to involve the kids in the process and actually give them an opportunity to say, what's a, what's, you know, if I don't get my homework done, what's, what's a reasonable consequence. The parents get to make the decision whether it's reasonable or not, the parents can chime in, but you're actually giving them a sense of control because they're making the choice. And then they're making the choice whether they're going to adhere to it or not. You can't force a kid to adhere to a rule. You can't force anybody to do anything, but you can, you can uh, set the consequences. And when people are, you know, when, when, when you involve your kids um, in the process that way, you feel like they're, they feel like they've, they've been heard. Um, and then they make better choices as a result. And so rather than trying to figure out the alignment process reactively, doing so proactively makes a big difference. You know, I, I kind of chuckle inside because we, we have a clinic in the Chicagoland area that we've been running for the past 20 years. And the trends that we have been seeing with families coming in is majority of the parents can't even hold themselves to their own consequences and boundaries and you know, they can't even get themselves off of social media. And so we have these kids coming in and the parents are, are like, fix my kid, you know, to our therapist. And then we have to send the, the kid back to the same environment where the parents aren't even yeah. following, you know, the house rules themselves. Yeah. If you can't do that, that's kind of one-on-one. It's yeah. do not pass go, right? So, right. The, so part of, you know, and sometimes I'm asked to bring the kid into the meetings and I'm, and I, and I basically have said, I will do that as a family unit, but not until you guys are fully aligned and you guys are doing your part. Right. And, um, and so, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of, um, parent coaching really is not about, is about implementation and adjusting and having some new approaches. Um, coaching is different than therapy. Therapy is diagnosing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, coaching is really um, furthering the education and the actions. So it's creating an action plan uh, and, and helping to educate people. And so that's why I've embraced the coaching element of it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've that's actually why we moved in the coaching too. 
Yeah. And, and I've developed a framework. I call it the 4A framework. And it's really mm -hmm. about um, it's about assessing and addressing and acting and then adjusting. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that cycle where you can make those adjustments and, and what I call bump into the world, allow, allow your kid to actually mm -hmm. uh, experience some, some stress. I actually heard something today uh, on a podcast where a woman was saying that uh, in France, there, there are actually no kids menus. And the reason is, is because they, they want kids to actually have to figure out what to order rather than just be catered to in a kid's way kind of thing. And it was symptomatic of, you know, allowing a kid to be frustrated. It's okay. <laughs> it's a lot. It's okay to allow a kid to be unhappy and parents aren't responsible for their kid's happiness all the time. And so, um, they shouldn't be. No, sure. they shouldn't be. Yeah. Cause the world won't modify for them when they get older. That's right. I mean, and you all know, you're the, do is, is you want your kids to be independent and happy and they've, you, they've got to be able to bounce back from failure. And if they're protected all their childhoods, yep. it's much harder. You, you know, one of the things that uh, we talk about in, in, in a lot of our podcast episodes and everything is that the general public is not aware of how the counseling field is really not educated and not certified to work with families and with couples. Uh, the research shows that marriage counseling has the worst success rate across the board of all therapies combined. And there is no needed certification to call yourself a marriage counselor. There's no needed certification to call yourself a family therapist either. And if we look at the majority of therapists out there that say they do family therapy or work with children, I would be willing to bet that the majority of them don't even have kids themselves and are coming straight out of school and are young and really don't have that kind of life experience to be able to work with a child or even work with the adults and help them parent. Yeah. They, they, you know, to, um, to the credit, people who are like that at least have a passion and want to help. And there aren't enough people in the field to help people with the, the growing mental health crisis. For sure. But it's clear, but it's clear that if you have, credentials, if you have experience, um, you know, it, it certainly makes a greater difference. What I hang my hat on, frankly, is that I had, a, I have a kid who had mental illness and still mm -hmm. does. Um, I received parent coaching, so I benefited from it and know what the benefit is. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm certified by two different national organizations to be a parent coach. And I've had really good success, you know, 4.9 out of five on my Google reviews. And then I'm a guy. And so, Quite often, the first calls from the mom, but you know, I always ask, "Will the dad be involved?" And some, I'd say, three out of ten times they're like willing, but seven out of ten times they're not. Either they're too busy, they're too wrapped up in themselves, they don't want to be vulnerable. Yep. And I'm able to kind of break through some of that frequently, either through sports or business or just kind of understanding how. You know, a lot of guys are not quite as empathetic as they need to be with their kids. And, and I wasn't at the time either. So, um, you know, it's allowed me to be effective and impactful at what I do. And it's why I enjoy it so much. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that as we're talking is becoming evident to me, and we've noticed this in our work, is that when we're working with a couple and we're working with them an hour a week and, you know, get them homework and stuff, it. It is nothing compared to when they come on our weekend, which is unplugged. It's out in the wilderness. 
very similar to, you know, what you guys were explaining that your daughter went through. And I think that's a component of being human that we have kind of, uh, I think that's a big part of our mental health crisis. You know, we're not designed to sit in classrooms for eight hours or, you know, work on things for an hour. You know, if, if you want to learn any sport, you don't do it for an hour a week. And oftentimes you go to camps for, you know, two weeks at a time where you're really diving in and, and really shifting things up. And maybe that is just how it's supposed to be and that we really need that. And someone like your daughter, who's more sensitive possibly than some other people really needed it. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's what we always felt about our son. He was never going to fit in the box. And we just tried to keep his self-esteem in a place that said, you know, one day you're the kind of person that is going to change the world because you don't fit in that box. Yeah. And and instead of like you were talking about like diagnosing everything and calling everything an issue, maybe it is about growing and developing and learning and becoming. And that's true whether you're a child, whether you're new parents, whether you're a couple newly married or 30 years married, there's always more to learn and grow. And I, I think we've gotten this idea like, okay, I finished school, so I'm done. Mm. And I know everything. And, you know, our brains develop, everything continues to develop. And so I don't think the system as it is could be enough. And we've noticed that as well. Like we're just not reaching people enough, which is why we created the weekend. But that those like trying to weave it into the rest of your life is, is that maybe organic enough? I don't know what the right word is. What, what do you guys think about that concept? I, I think it's hard to argue with what you've said. I mean, studies have shown time and time and again that People out in the wilderness are happier <laughs> because they're connecting, uh, connecting outside. Um, and I think COVID and social media have done damage, big damage. For um, sure. You know, COVID with kids' development because they were being isolated and they also had learning deficits as a result of, you know, learning in a different way or not learning at all. And then social media, I've given presentations on social media and I don't have it in front of me, but... Um, the amount of time that kids since COVID happened, that, kid, that kids are online, that they're online surfing as opposed to doing something productive um, has just like doubled or tripled. It's skyrocketed. And parents' concern has skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. But um, for the most part, um, parents haven't really addressed the issue properly, partially because they don't know how to, because it's so compelling partially because the algorithms are meant to hook people and they do uh, partially because uh, they can't, you know, they can't uh, uh, relinquish the social media themselves. And even the government really hasn't stepped in. You know, you can be, you know, decide how, how, uh, how, how pro-government you want to be in terms of stepping into this kind of thing, but it's been allowed to get out of hand and, uh, and kids have suffered as a result of it. Probably all of us. Yep. I think another component is community. You know, there's or lack thereof. The lack of community, and you know, when 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 I was a kid, it was like go out and play, and now it's like go to your organized cheerleading event or your organized hockey thing or your organized this. There's an adult everywhere, and cameras everywhere, and that lack of go figure it out with the kid next to you is kind of gone, and every parent on the block is going to be allowed to correct you if you were wrong. So we don't have that anymore. And we're designed to live in those communities. And so the community has gone. And we, I think we try to fill it with social media that is a, a, 
a very dangerous substitute. I totally agree. Not to mention those those organized sports cost thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, and the expectations that people are putting on their kids now to be these pro athletes <laughs> at such a young age. You know, it's just it's just too much for kids to yeah. to handle. So you know, I, I you know we've. I'm sorry. They get a scholarship to college, right? So oh, the yes. parents right. don't have as much of an expense or whatever, or the kid, yeah. Yeah, and some some parents that I work with, their kids are struggling, have 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 not made it through high school, or still in school and struggling, and may not go to high school and may not go to college. Um, our daughter, we pulled her out when she was still when she was a senior in high school. It was the worst time ever, but it was the, it was the right time. Um, and, and, uh, she still graduated, she, still graduated. Yeah. she finished remotely, but, but there are a lot of parents who are like, you know, my son needs to get finished high school and then go and then go to college because that's what we do. And I'm like, maybe that's your path. <laughs> you know, that might not be what's appropriate for him. Let's find out what makes him happy and find out, you know, um, if he wants, you know, sometimes what happens is kids get so anxious that they that it be everything becomes overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So, an example: I have one client with a, a child who's 25, who's at home, who's having trouble launching, and he has a job and he goes to the gym, but he's generally introverted and doesn't have any friends and all the rest. But he wants to move away from the country and into the city. And rather than just talking with the son about, well, what are you going to do? You know, you said you wanted to move by year end. What are you doing? Time's a wasting. It's it, you know, the approach is more like chunking it down, we call it in parent coaching, chunking it down and clustering so you can make it simpler. It's like, you know, are you still interested moving to the city? We know it's a big deal to do that. What are what are some of the first things you 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 may want to do as you're trying to move the ball forward? And how can we help? Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is you're making it easier to have the discussion and you're asking permission. And your conversations are a lot different when that when when that approach happens. And most people don't do that. They want to get the kid out of the house. They're disappointed that they have a 25 year old kid who's at home who hasn't, you know, who's not a lawyer yet or or a doctor or something else. And you know, they have their own, you know, they they you know they may be slower to the take and they may not be a doctor or a lawyer, but they could be very successful in their own right. Lori, I want to ask you a question about that little rain incident that he brought up. And I think it's a really common one where there's this need and desire to mother and the difficulty of setting things that make our kids uncomfortable. Has that been part of your journey in as you're growing and what you went through with your daughter? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first I'd like to clarify that it was a thunderstorm. It wasn't a drizzle. So (laughs) As the sky turned black outside, I drove up the street to pick her up so she wasn't walking home in a thunderstorm. But all that to say, yes, it has been. I mean, I don't know if it's just um, the kind of kid that she was um, or whether it was me trying to act a certain way because of the childhood I had or maybe both. Um, but yeah, that that was sort of my... MO in many ways. Um, but there sometimes there were, you know, at one point he was upset with me because I would drive her to school sometimes as opposed to having her take the bus. And I was like, I like having time to talk to her in the car. Like it was the only time I would have during the day where 
there was no interruption from anybody else. And, and we could sit in the car on the ride to school, which was 10 plus minutes and, and talk about something. And, um, and I really liked that. Um, but he didn't want me to do that. Or he felt that I was babying her by doing that, but it wasn't really about babying her. It was about getting time with her. Um, and she liked it too. So sometimes there's more to the story than just, uh, you know, babying your child by doing things like picking them up at the bus stop or driving them to school. But I think the lesson to be learned here, looking back, if I can make a point, is just that we would point at each other at that yeah. at that time when we were going through things. We don't do that anymore. We learned. We learned to kind of talk things through, not having an agenda other than trying to connect. And we would have had a different tone and being able to communicate better and figure that kind of stuff out. And we do that now. You know, and kids, I think that's where we always, all are. You're always parents. a parent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're always a parent. They call it parenting, not childing for a reason. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so we're, we're, we're having to deal with, you know, we're having to deal with situations now or, you know, our, our Audrey wants, um, you know, Audrey, you know, there's certain things that she wants from us now that we're, we're not inclined to give to her. And we have to make sure that we we talk it through and that we communicate in a unified front. And uh, and we've done that. And she knows not to come back because she knows she knows that we're resolute. Have you guys heard of a book called The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm? I have. Yeah. yeah. And he talks about the the archetype of the mother and the archetype of the father, which, of course, we have both. But the mother is the unconditional love. I'm going to feed you whether you're a brat or not. <laughs> you know, I'm just to take care of you and the masculine or the, the father is conditional love. You know, you get this and you get the reward and, and the discipline and the training and how much we need both of those things. And it is a really, he calls it the art of loving because it's an art form that you have to practice and you have to master and you have to learn. And I think that we do such a good job of developing our intellect through our school system, but not so much our ability to relate as adults with each other and as parents to children. And, um, you know, it's like we're over bloated in the intellectual world and facts and information and all the stuff we learn there and how to make money and have a job, but not this whole art form of loving and being in it for real. And, you know, you guys, your your story has been very inspirational because it's real and we Mm -hmm. see it. And, and often it doesn't end like this. It often ends with divorce and, the kids in the system somewhere or struggling or whatever it is. And, you know, even though she's 20, 25, is that how old she is? 23. She's 23. You're not done. We don't live in a world where we're done at 18 anymore. And, and that, you know, when I, I moved out of the house at 17, but you know, my car insurance was a hundred bucks a year and you could afford to do stuff like that where now it's almost impossible to, to even be financially independent, let alone emotionally or uh, mentally at a place where you can live in this world independently very young. Yeah, I mean, how, how can anybody afford a house nowadays in their 20s with the interest rates and with oh, the, yeah. the price escalation and, and the lack of housing stock and apartment rents being so expensive? It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, I feel, for, uh, I feel for, for younger people who are trying to... Mm-hmm establish their careers and, and frankly, invest in real estate so that they can build up some equity and have some pride in that. There are still adults that are 
still struggling with that and can't teach their kids how to do that and how to thrive in this in this environment as well. So, you know, it, it is a, a growing trend, a scary growing trend. Yeah. So what would you guys say to uh, some parents that are out there that are in the earlier stages of dealing with knowing that their kid's in trouble? What What advice would you give to them or what would you say to them? I would say take some of the lessons, don't make some of the mistakes that we made, take some of the lessons that we've had. And if you can learn and implement them on your own through trial and error or through emulating others, more power to you, you'll be better off than we were. (laughs) And if you feel like you're struggling and really can't get over that hump, invest in a parent coach. You know, it's, it's for the amount of money to have family harmony and to change the trajectory of the way your family operates. There's really no price on that. And whether it's me or someone else, um, you know, I'm based here in Atlanta. I work in person in Atlanta, but remote anywhere. I've got some clients out, outside of the country. Um, you know, look me up and, and um, you know, my website's parentsjourneycoaching.net and people can sign up for a free discovery session where if I can be of any help, regardless of whether we work together, I'm, I'm more than willing to have a conversation to, to help people because that's why I got into this. I didn't get into this to, you know, I was an entrepreneur before. If I was still trying to make top dollar, I'd be doing something else. For sure. How about you, Lori? Um, I would say that that it's really important, obviously, to make sure that, that your relationship with your spouse is also getting um, help not just the help you're trying to provide your child. Um, It was really, it was something that we didn't work that hard on until we were, until she was in treatment and, and it was part of our program. We didn't really identify that as well as we could have younger or gotten the kind of help that we should have. Um, I don't know how much it would have, it's impossible to say how much it would have changed the trajectory, but I think having work, placing effort into the work that you um, need to do with your spouse is equally as important as the help that you're trying to get your child. If you're starting to see trouble with your kid or your kid is starting to spiral, Um, because I think that it's really, it it helps on both fronts to have both of them. And some of it's relating to being aligned and getting that parent coaching, but some of it's even more basic. Like a lot of the parents that I work with managing their careers and talking about their kids nonstop and trying to figure stuff out represents hundred percent of their lives. So they're not a couple, you know, when right. they go out for dinner, what, what do you do? We go out for dinner. What do you do? We talk about our kids being in trouble, right? So yeah. it's how, how are you supposed to connect and build that foundation to even be aligned parents if you don't have a connection yourself, because you're mm-hmm. going through that stage in your life where you've kind of lost your connection. So it's making sure that you, have those date nights or have those, you know, time just alone where you can just enjoy each other's company or do something fun together and make sure it's about the couple, not about, not about the kids all the time. It's a very important point. You know, we tell all our couples who are parents that you are the cornerstone of the family. If you guys aren't strong, the family is not going to be supported. So that actually brings us perfectly to our last question. What is it that your partner does that, you know, they love you? I would say um, shows an interest in the things that are important to me, even if they're not important to him, um, or even to go further than that, 
that he really doesn't care about, but he knows I do. So when he takes the time to really want to hear about something that's important to me, I know that's one way that I know that he really loves me. And I'll echo the same. I mean, we've, we've come a long way when it comes to that, but it's actually, you know, um, it's actually anticipating the other person's needs and desires because that's important to them, even if it's not important to you and willing to make that effort. Um, the things in our lives, in our households that we have different preferences and little sticking points. And rather than pointing fingers at each other and saying, that's not something that's important to me. So I'm not doing it if you want to do it. It's actually doing it because it makes the other person happy. And we both have careers and we both have friends and we both have emotions. And we were able to share that with each other um, without judgment, without um you know, and, and, and we listen to each other. And, and even like encouraging you, like he's, he's going off to do something that's important to him for a long weekend because it's an interest that he has that I really don't have. And I'm like, go have a good time. Enjoy yourself. You know, I'll, I'll go away with my sorority sisters from college. I mean, I've been out of college for a thousand years, right? We'll have get togethers and he'll be like, go have the best time. Go. You know, I think encouraging each other also to have your own interests and to live life in ways sometimes that don't include your partner is also important for the relationship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah absolutely. Yeah, my 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 mother is 82 and in good health, thank goodness. And she's had she's had uh peers who's um whose spouses have died. And their whole life is around, it, it was centered around the spouse. They don't, they never did anything without each other. And then they're totally lost. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not healthy. No. Uh, Andy and Lori, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Uh, we're definitely going to put uh, links, you know, to the website on our show notes. Um, but can you also remind our, our viewers or listeners about the podcast that you guys have and host? Sure. It's, um, well, uh, um, it's called the wilderness journey and residential, uh, the wilderness treatment and residential. No. <laughs> it's been a, been a little while. <laughs> wilderness therapy and residential treatment journey podcast, wilderness therapy and residential treatment journey podcast. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, wherever you, wherever you do, wherever you find it. And for people who are entering that ecosystem or in the middle of that ecosystem, Exit, have exited that ecosystem. It's valuable information where there's a voice and you can find out about things, about all the things that Lori referenced, insurance, how to pay for this stuff. It's so expensive. Um, transportation, educational consultants and all the rest. And I want to make an announcement. I am starting a new podcast um, um, called um, Winning Parenting. Oh, and all right. it's going to be focused on things that I have learned and have implemented in my parent coaching practice that I think will be more specifically inspirational to parents. And a lot of the things that we, you know, touched on differently today. And so I was actually just drafting um, the the first episode, which is kind of the trailer. Um, yeah. So that it'll be called winning, winning parents. And it'll probably the first episode or the trailer will probably be available within the next week, which would be, you know, long before this, you know, uh, w would be ahead of when this episode may be published. Yeah. Well, right. you heard it here and we will definitely put the link to that new podcast in the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, guys. 
you know, people have been sharing their stories for that since the beginning of time to bond, heal and grow. And we hope that by you guys sharing your story, it's enriched your lives and the lives of our listeners. Absolutely. We appreciate your time too. That's why we showed up. You know, we, we, when our daughter went away uh, and we gave her the gift that we did, we didn't say that our daughter was, you know, we didn't, we weren't quiet about it. We didn't, you know, we, we were, we were transparent and honest about what what we went through and, and it's been helpful for us to share our story and also, um, you know, um, help people along the way. So we appreciate you for giving us a platform to do that and for all the good work that you do. And thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. you. I want to thank all of you for joining us today on Couples Synergy. Our passion is in helping people and, and couples have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please let us know how you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the home study course, the Couples Relationship Enhancement Weekend, and our premier coaching program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.